you can't have a goal and do this that's different than everybody else around you and and do the exact same thing as everybody else around you. You really can't. Trusted and proven. Pushing the limits on every shot. We never fear failure. Join us as we set ourselves against the odds, bringing you cutting edge voices in every industry. This is the Ironclad Podcast. For today's show, we're excited to bring you a conversation with Andrew Arabito. Andrew is a retired Navy SEAL, the owner and founder of Half Face Blades, one of the world's most badass knife companies, a consultant for Hollywood action movies, and a hunting enthusiast. Recently, the Ironclad team hung out with Andrew in Lanai, Hawaii, while filming an episode of Eagle Industries' Eagle Beyond series. In this podcast, we spoke about his story and the values that have led to his success. We also discussed why he thinks every person should experience an ethical hunt. It, you know, I think that most people know you from one way or another, right? So they either know you um, through your Instagram, through DEFCON, through the, the blades you make. Let's, let's start a little bit and just kind of talk about uh, your story a little bit, even before the teams. You know, uh, and we talk about this in the video piece, but, you know, what was it that naturally drew you into the military and, and why did you want to pursue that? I mean, I, I think like most young dudes that run around in the woods picking up every stick and making it a gun, you know what I mean? Yeah. Starting that young, like from there, you know, crawling around the bushes, pretending, I don't know what it was from, I didn't watch a lot of war movies or anything as a kid, but somehow, you know, guys are attracted to knives and guns, you know what I mean? So just from there and then, you know, I don't think I really looked into the military much, maybe till six, seven eighth grade, you know what I mean, where we're studying, we're studying war history and American history, and with American history, you have all the different wars, and, you know, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, and stuff like that, so that was really interesting, I like history, I like geography, all that stuff, American history, so I think, you know, like, like I was saying, as well as my mom's cousin had got me a Navy SEAL workout book in around sixth or seventh grade, you know what I mean, and that's kind of where it just looked at each other, you know, climbing nets, and skydiving, and swimming in the ocean, and like, it's all really exciting stuff, you know what I mean? And then they're traveling, going overseas, they're shooting every gun imaginable, you know, um, using cool gear, right? So that was an attraction right there, the fun part of it, you know? So then I just looked into it, you know, through high school, and I looked into the different forces from, from Army to Air Force, the different special forces, and I did a little deeper studying and where those, where the uh, locations are, you know, um, and the SEAL teams, because I do love water too, that was a little more attractive. And then they're based on the coasts, which is way more attractive than being in Fort Benning or somewhere stuck, you know, out there. Um, so I don't know, you know, like I said, that all those little things combined um, just seemed like an attractive thing to do. I think, uh, trying to think if there was anything else I wanted to do, you know what I mean? Like in high school, thinking about my future. You know, my goal was to be in the SEAL teams. I'm trying to think if I ever second-guessed that goal, but um, I don't know if I ever said I wanted to do anything else. I'm not sure. One of the things that I think is cool about uh, you and, and what you do is everything you do from your your career in the military to what you're doing now, it's, it's hard, hard, hard things to do. Even going out on on 
hunt expeditions, doing the the businesses you do from Half Face to DefCon. It's hard stuff, but it's really aspirational stuff. You know, you found a way to combine passion and hard work, and it's almost a pursuit of hard. Like you're sitting yeah. in a brand new shop right now. What is it that draws you to that? Um, I just I, I think there's a lot of easy routes out there. You know what I mean? There's a reason why there's a million coffee companies because you just have to design a label and slap it on a bag. You know what I mean? Um, you know, besides, you know, Black Rifle coming in at the right time, realizing it's, you know, they scaled and obviously they do stuff in house. But um, where do you go with that? You know what I mean? You're against a million other millions of other people doing that same thing. It's not really, it'd be hard to find a niche, you know what I mean? And then it's like, well, do you come from a coffee background? I don't think so. So you got to learn right then and there too. I think me naturally doing knives is just growing up as an outdoorsman and knowing the end user capability of a knife and what it can do and what it should do. So that knife thing kind of came, you know, like I was saying from grinding blades as a little kid and making, you know, Native American tools and and stuff like that. Um, and I didn't plan on making knives. I was hungover one day when I decided to. And I was like, man, maybe I'll just grind some knives for my SEAL buddies that are still active. You know, so, you know, along with other business stuff like that, um, you know, finding a niche or meeting people that have already in those industries that have created a niche or a branding and they're really good at it. Um, I have a few real close buddies that have been really good at what they've done, whether it's shoe company stuff, you know, Supreme, um, you know, my buddy Berto with, with DEFCON. And I've been able to look and see what they've done and how they did it. And, you know, I, I think starting a business is complicated depending on what it is, but sometimes it's really not that complicated. People get into it too quickly and they don't have a background for it or a pedigree for what they're doing. It sounds fun. That that doesn't mean they won't be successful. It just means the on-the-job training and research is going to be compounded in that much more. You know what I mean? By being an end user with tactical blades, cooking a lot, and being outdoorsman, I had an upper hand, you know, in the end with that. Um, I don't know, you know, right? I'm always brainstorming, and there's a million good ideas out there, right? And it's a matter of, taking those good ideas, writing them out, seeing what you have in your own arsenal that could actually apply or help you start a brand, right? So if I have a shop here and I have CNCs, I can, you know, and I got buddies who ride motorcycles, I could sit down with them or I got buddies that are firefighters and they could be like, oh, let's make this certain type of tool. And I have the capability to do it here. So I could start another brand and still use what I have in-house and what I, the knowledge I have now. You know what I mean? Um, I think when it comes to, you know, a challenging business or something like that, I think, I think you could start something that's really challenging, but that might not be fun for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. think the, these things have kind of come naturally, whether they're complicated or not, um, just due to maybe my background. Was there ever a point where you were nervous if you were going to make it or not? You know, you know, you know, I. I from the time you're jumping out of a plane, are you nervous? Is it the same kind of concept with your business? Are you ever nervous that you're going to make it? Or is it just something yeah, you accept? I think that's always in the back of your mind. Like, um, Obviously, when you're running a business, you're looking at financials too. And you know, okay, X amount's going to employees. X amount's to insurance. X amount is rent. You know, That all goes into it. I think that 
I've kind of taken smaller steps in business just because I'm not a businessman, you know what I mean? And I don't, yeah. I've seen people overextend themselves, whether they're get a massive loan and now it's five years to pay off and their business plateaus, you know what I mean? And now they're having more trouble and they have to get rid of employees. I think it's natural for us to be like, I have a great idea. It's going to be very successful. You know, yeah. I think being positive like that is very good, but also being realistic that, you know, there is failure and there is um, you could create something where it's just a, the field is there's so many people in that field in that business. Um, yeah, you know, this stress comes from thinking of the future versus the present every day. I think you know my stress on a daily level when I'm in here and I'm working is is much lower than when I'm like, okay, I still have these two machines to get done and built. Then I got to figure out programming. It's really I, I I stress pretty hard sometimes. I try not to overstress, but that's just common having 12 employees. And I want what's best for them. And I want to pay them more and I want to grow. You know what I mean? But along with that is part of growing isn't just coming in the shop and making knives every day. Part of growing is getting out there. And like you were saying, you know, hunting and going on hunting trips, going on fishing trips, that networking is the, one of the biggest things out there. Word of mouth getting knives in the right people's hands that use them where I get that great feedback. You know what I mean? Um, that's unstressful part of the job, but it's still working and I enjoy that part. I, you know, I really enjoy all of it. I really enjoy my employees. I, they're close buddies, veterans. Um, but that's also why like, I want what's best for them too. And I want their career development to grow within, within the business. You've done when we were in there. You were you you had some badass blades that you were making. I've seen some stuff you've made on on Instagram and through every everything else. Some even have ashes in them. Yeah. Uh, what's been your favorite piece you think you've made so far? Oh man, that's tough, dude. Uh, I've done man. We've done some really, you know, uh, Charlie Keating, um, the fourth. He was in the SEAL teams and he was killed over Mosul. So the platoon brought his pants covered in blood that he was wearing when he died. They donated a few more pair of pants and a few American flags they had with them. And he was a waterman, so they donated bone. Um, and so I ground the bone up, put it in the resin, then I layered his his bloody pants with other platoon pants, guys in the platoon, and with American flag and made my carta. So I ended up making, I think I made maybe 36 knives with the handles made out of his pants. Which turned out they're just, you know, they're Crow Scout blades, but that's like holy grail, you know, of knives. I did that for some uh, firefighters that died during 9 11 in the towers. Uh, I've done that for um, the owner of um, Bull Hill up in Washington, which is a place where the snipers go and do trips. Uh, and I've done it for working dogs, done it for uh, just other people's dogs and pets they've sent their ashes in, you know, that and then. You know, we've made knives for guys to cut their babies' umbilical cords when they're born, which has been cool. Let's get back to where we were talking. Like, you get these opportunities, right? You get to go. You've done some stuff in Hollywood. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on out there and, and what that's been like for you. Um, I kind of – right after I got out, I, I went up and just did some voiceover stuff for Michael Bay for Transformers 3 and then kind of got to know him. And then um, he just in, kept inviting me back to do – to work, you know, and like extra work and advising and stuff like that. So we did Transformers 4 and then he asked if I want to do 13 Hours, the Benghazi movie. So, you know, when you're doing that, there's times where they want to pull you in and 
you're running around, whether you're shooting guns or you have lines or, or whatever it is. So kind of got involved in that and did some advising, worked on um, Turtles movies and then Transformers 5. And um, I met a guy working on a show called The Last Ship, this guy Garrett Warren. He's a stunt director and second unit director up there. He's done tons of amazing movies. He did the first Avatar. I did Logan with him. And he's one of my best friends to date. Um, so when they started Avatar 2, what, 2017, he hit me up to come up there. So I had met Jim Cameron before, had taken him shooting at uh, the SWAT facility, some, me and some of my buddies. So I saw him and he was like, man, good to see you. It's been a while. You want to stay on and uh, be a you know, military tech advisor. So I'm not going to say no to that. So I've, kind of, I've been on Avatar 2 for, I guess, since July 2017, you know, back and forth from L.A. They're filming in New Zealand now. So doing that then with Garrett, he does stunts. So I've learned stunts. You know, I let the real stunt guys do the heavy stunts. I just do the little, yeah. little. But uh, that and then he was like, well, since you're here, I'm going to make you play a role. So now I'm a, a 10 foot tall blue bad avatar in the next movie. Nice. Yeah. Is it better? Is it more fun being the bad guy or the good guy? Um... I think I've always been the bad guy. Oh no, no! Thirteen hours, I was a good guy, kind of. Yeah. You're just a you're just an inconsiderate good guy, right? Yeah, just a little rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either, That's cool. You know, I've played dead bodies. I've been, you know, in like the last ship, I was a dead body five times. Didn't you get you got uh didn't in Logan you got stabbed in the gut, right? No, I got my arm broken off. This oh, little yeah. girl froze my arm and broke it off. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. But, so nice. I'll, I'm continuing, you know, I'm, I'm still on it. They're over filming in New Zealand. So um, we'll be finishing up that this year and then starting three. So. so what's next for you? I don't know, man. Bear hunting in Alaska. I don't know. One thing that I want to go to before we go into the next section, you, you had a – you had mentioned in the piece, and we didn't really dig into this, but you drew a parallel um, when we were talking about some other stuff that I won't get into because I'll let people watch it, but you said it's similar to how you feel about the American flag. And that even made me start thinking differently about the flag, taking some of the parallels of what you were saying before. Can you talk a little bit about the, what the flag means to you? Because ever since I've watched the piece 15 times during editing, I'm thinking, man, I wonder what, he would, I wonder what that stance is. Well, look at all the guys. Look at all the guys. You know, the deep feeling of love and care and support, and the, and you would die for your buddy. All those things combined, and what we discussed, and you know, guys who loved me more than I loved myself. You know what I mean? That would have died for me. That that's we're years into that. That's been known. Those feelings have been known by many, many guys going to war before me. You know what I mean? And it's guys viciously, you know, protect the representation of that you know the representation of someone dying for me or i could have not come home the, the level of gratitude and then the level of like heartbreak for your buddies dying that all to me that all is under that flag right that's what that flag stands for it stands for freedom of course but the colors and everything in it all also stand for all those that went before us all those guys right that fought for either another country's freedom for our freedom for protection and ultimately they fought for each other 
whether I believed in a certain cause or not, and guys died, right? You know, have you ever seen Band of Brothers? That's pretty good, you know, like, I'm trying to think of, you know, war movies like, you know, Black Hawk Down, you got Saving Private Ryan, and some of those are really good in showing how rough it is and the depth of emotion. You know, maybe it's just my correlation, but when you're doing that stuff and you're going to war and your buddy's dying, you may not come home, you're wearing those flag patches. That's your country. That's your people. Those are the brothers next to you. And I mean, it's sacred to me. You know, that that sacrifice that other guys have made is really sacred to me. They did it for that freedom. And that's exactly what that flag represents. It represents all those people that went before us to protect those that aren't serving. You know what I mean? Um, and then, of course, for me, it's just it, it's that much deeper because I've had that loss. You know what I mean? When you're on the road as much as us and you are in every scenario under the sun from freezing cold conditions to uber hot conditions in Death Valley, you want batteries that will perform for you. For us, it's core. It's the only option. And they have a new battery out called the HyperCore Neo. I'm going to have to read the bullet points on this thing because it's so crazy. But I promise you, we've used it in the field and it's transformed the game. It's less battery swap outs, more durable, more options than ever before. So it's TSA PreCheck, it's RFID. It's rubberized. It's got a USB so you can charge your phone. You can plug in accessories. You can do anything from there. It's got hibernation mode on it. It's a high current delivery, which is a new feature. And ultimately, it communicates with the camera. This battery is insane. Core has always taken care of us. We're ironclad and we're core driven. So, you know, we get people from all over that listen to this um, from filmmakers to entrepreneurs to anybody who's just trying to improve themselves so this can be fun this can be simple but um this is a couple quick questions for you cool so um first one is what is the worst advice you've ever received damn that's a tough one dude there's so much there's so many <laughs> uh the worst advice that i've ever received Probably um, when I was going to SEAL training, they were like, hey, don't raise your hand for anything. Don't volunteer for anything, right? And in reality, then you're just a gray man who slips by and you don't make an impact at all, you know, which I didn't obey that. I got, you know, I got yelled at the first day, you know what I mean? And then I was just like, you know what, fuck it. Like, I'll take the heat. So I was, I'd volunteer to, you know, they, they would be like, hey, we need volunteers to go lay in the ocean so the other guys can eat. Like, all right, fuck it. You know what I mean? So then they would be like, okay, everybody who volunteered, go eat. Everybody else go lay in the ocean. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that I think the worst it not that someone said it was like, oh, just you know it, actually, this is what it means to me, right? The way you said it, like, hey, don't don't raise your hand, don't volunteer for anything, just get by. Like what a what a load of crap. Who wants to just get by? Who wants to be the guy in the back in the crowd that just walks with the group and, you know what I mean? Like, why not be the person out front carrying that flag, you know, waving it? Like, why not be in the front line? You know what I really respected about when I had, like, new guys in the SEAL teams was not the guy, the little gray guy who just did what he could to, to be okay, you know what I mean? I want that guy who's aggressive. He's in front. He's really smart. When he makes a mistake, like, it's, a, it, it's usually a little bit of an impactful mistake, but when they do good, they do amazing. You know what I mean? I want that guy who's aggressive, who wants to learn, who wants to get it. Like I said, he makes those mistakes, but he also does great things. You know what I mean? Like he works harder. He's looking for more to do. 
He's learning more. His career development is more. You know what I mean? And eventually when he learns all those things, he's going to be way higher in life, whether it's in the SEAL teams, in business, you're going to you're going to know more. You're going to be able you'll be capable of more. You're going to know the answers to more. And then when problems arise, you're going to know how to solve them before other people. You know, so don't be that person who just slips by, who doesn't, you know, try to take that next class or qualify for something else or, you know, oh, my plate's full, but hey, you know what? Let's put a little more on it. I'm a problem solver. I'll figure it out. I'll work a little longer. I'll work a little harder. I'll do a little more research. You know, don't be that person who just fucking slips by. What's that going to get you? What's your biggest regret? I don't know. I mean, do I regret you know, not focusing on my relationships because look where I'm at now, you know, my relationships now are good. It could have changed my future. Um, I don't know. I think I could have probably been, you know, better in relationships, I guess. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, with, with people I love. Maybe spent more time. I, that's a hard one. You know what I mean? Um, Outside of that, you know, other regrets, probably just, you know, when you really think about who loves you and the impact that you have on, on others, being more mindful of your time and spending more quality time with your, your family. I wish I had spent more quality time with maybe with my mom. You know, I, I try to now. She lives far away. But... I think when you're when you're younger, you've been with family till you're 18 or whatever age, and it's like, oh, time to get out. And you soon realize that they're the greatest people on earth, those that love you the most, and who cares about the rest. So I think I think I could safely say, you know, my bigger regrets were, uh, you know, not spending enough time, you know, with some close family. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, so uh, if you were to Talk to a young listener who's ready to go conquer the world, who's, who's listening to this podcast um, and doesn't know how. What would you tell them? You know, I've, I've mentored a few guys. Uh, a Marine kid comes in, in in mind and, you know, rearing to go, want to join the Marines. I was like, all right, you know, I suggest you get through and try to go to MARSOC or join the Army and try to go SF because – it's just a better better lifestyle, in my opinion, or it's a lifestyle that I, I wanted. So I wanted that to him. It's a good lifestyle. And I was like, you know, focus on that career development. Focus on being really good at what you do. Focus on learning more. Focus on more career schools. Don't get married. You know, that's going to take away from it. You can have a girlfriend, fine. But again, get to that level of your goal, and then you can take the time to build those relationships or get married, have kids. You know what I mean? No, of course not. He's got to learn the hard way. Gets married, has a kid. You know, I won't go into his personal stuff, but like the amount of times I've seen guys, you know, do something like that before they get to their goal. You know what I mean? Before they they settle out in a in a career they enjoy, everything's gonna take away from that, right? They're, you could have a rad girlfriend and she adds to it and gives you empowers you. There. You're still going to feel bad then if you're not spending time with them. It's still going to have a little bit of a strain. You know what I mean? I, I think, you know, go crush the world, but you got you to gotta not quit on anything then. And because younger people don't have the life experience and have had as many hardships as, 
when you're older, you realize how to get through them and you realize they're going to end one day and a new hardship's going to start. And so guys are so willing to give up or quit or, you know, when smaller hardships come just because they don't have anything to compare them to. Um, I don't know, man. That's that's an individual basis thing. I would just say, you know, if you have that that a career in mind, you have a goal in mind. Like, don't let anything affect it. Don't let anything take away from it. There's going to be, you know, because that goal being the SEAL teams, it was my goal and what I want to do. Yeah, I cut certain people out of my life. Yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time with my family till later in my life. You know what I mean? Listen here, that's a sacrifice. And I look back and I can say, you know what? I regret. Yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time. I'm making up for that time now. You know what I mean? And it was a sacrifice, selfish sacrifice to join the teams or go do a certain career. Um, lucky I can make up for it now and it die overseas. But I still think had I, had I let other people take parts of me when I was going for that goal, you know, it could have affected the outcome. You know, yep. so it's kind of a cut it. You can love somebody, but you may have to cut them out of your life, you know, until you reach that goal. Yeah, I hear you. Get after it while you don't have the baggage. Yeah, you know. So uh, here's the last question. Um, so this one we like to do, and th- keep in mind, we like I, I kind of briefed you on some of the different types of listeners. If you had to give someone a challenge, a one-week challenge to start right now that would that would change them for the good, what would it be? Mental or physical? Either one. A one-week challenge. Or it could be anything. It doesn't have to be mental, physical. It could be whatever, you know. Um, Damn. I would say a one-week challenge would be to get up at 4.30 and go for a four-mile hike run every day, you know what I mean, and then eat really good. I, I, that's That's on the physical side of it, you know. I'm not sure – Yes, it's it's so individual based, you know. Um, getting up early kind of sucks. Some people are good at it. I force myself to get up early and go do things just because I have so much to do, and I can get up and knock two hours of something else before everybody else starts their day. You know what I mean? That kind of, that across the board, you know. Look what Jocko teaches, you know, and these other guys. Like that kind of gives you that little foot forward, and it's not the easiest thing to do. You know, but you can accomplish more if you're trying to accomplish something. If you're not trying to accomplish anything, then I don't have no advice for you. <laughs> no, it's good. I think that you, yeah, I think it's a, it's like you said, it's a physical thing, but it's also, I think mentally what you get out of doing that, you get an edge, you get, you feel, you get confidence boost, you get, you get a lot. So that's a good one, man. You know, you kind of, depending on what your goals are, you've got to live a little differently than those around you. You know, um, like in high school when I was running all the time, my buddies drove everywhere. You know, they drove to work. I ran to work. You know, they would go do something and I'd be like, hey, like, I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to go run. I'm going to go work out. Like, I just lived and it showed, you know, if you lie, if you took a, a month in my life along with my buddies around me that I still, still spent time with, you would see a difference in the way I was living my life. I wasn't doing what everybody else was doing all the time. And I, and I actually would, became kind of proud of that, that I stood out, not shined. I'm not saying I was better or worse. I just, I was, what I was doing was different. You know what I mean? You can't have a goal and do this that's different than everybody else around you and 
and do the exact same thing as everybody else around you do. You really can't. Like, you can't. You can't only work out two days a week because your buddy's working out two days a week. You got to work out five if your goal is, you know, X. You know what I mean? So you're gonna naturally, if you're doing the right, if you're going towards your your goal and you know what it is you have to do physically, mentally, what you've got to study, how you have to work out, you'll you'll noticeably have to turn down parties or you'll noticeably have to turn down trips or you'll noticeably have to not hang out with your buddies as much. Uh, you know what I mean? Because you're goal-oriented and that takes focus and that takes a little different lifestyle. And it's kind of a proud thing when you notice you're living a little bit differently and doing something a little different than everybody else around you. That's really cool. You know what I mean? And, and that's kind of like, hey, hey, a pat on the back. You're sticking to it. Are you ready to go into the fray? The Ironclad team specializes in developing films, online series, and content for the world's greatest brands, organizations, and outlets. Now we're taking you to some of the most beautiful and most dangerous places on earth. Go behind the scenes with the world's most cutting-edge filmmakers in Ironclad's new video series, Into the Fray. Each installment takes you on some of the world's most exotic locations to meet adventurers, inventors, warriors, and real-life heroes who've dedicated themselves to forging new paths. We utilize some insane equipment and some insane storytelling tactics to make these things happen and ultimately bring you stories that haven't been told before. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at This Is Ironclad to make sure that you never miss an episode. And remember, new installments drop every Friday afternoon. Adventure beckons. Will you come? This one is, is something that I wanted to talk to you about, and this is really cool because it's something I believe in too. And 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 um, we talked a little bit about it in the production. Um, but you're passionate about uh, your passion about ethical hunting. You know, we talked about that. So for someone listening to this who maybe lives more of an urban life and really hasn't ever even thought about hunting, uh, really doesn't have one thought one way or another, uh, make your argument for it and, and, and what it does to change their, the way they see the world and the way they operate. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't kill the animal just because it, you know, it, it's fun to hunt. I don't kill the animal because it's fun to kill an animal. You know what I mean? I think I'm doing doing my due diligence and honoring, you know what I mean, honoring where my food comes from. You know what I mean? Why not have that feeling of sadness when you smoke an animal and you're, and then you cut it up, bring it home, you're, instead of somebody else's smashing a, you know, a cow's head in, sawing it up for you and putting it on your plate, like, Where's the honor in that, you know? So, yeah, I like animals more than people. You know, people choose to do good and bad. You know what I mean? We can't eat people. So, you know, I can't hunt them. To eat them, at least. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I really think that, you know, you're really honoring. If I'm going to be a vegetarian, okay, fine. But I'm not. And my lifestyle, I like my meat and I, I like... You know, I work out a lot and I like my, my meat protein, you know what I mean? So I really look at, you know, go back in the day, like Native Americans, look at the culture they had. They actually just killed what they needed, you know. Um, they didn't want to over, over hunt. Um, on that, modern day, you know, states do a really good job of understanding the amount of animals in their state and regulating that. And if there's too many, you know, with wolves, wolves multiply and they crush elk. And so 
you can hunt wolves in some areas now. You know, you can't hunt in certain areas because of the elk population or deer population. So states have a pretty good handle on it. Um, the conservancy side of it, you know, sometimes you go hunt areas where they're overpopulated, right? And it has nothing to do with you just wanting to kill an animal to kill an animal. You know, there's there's a side of it where you're you're doing the best for the land, you know, Um yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you've gotten a lot out of it and I've gotten a lot out of it in the, you know, just anytime I get out there, it's a powerful experience. So, you know, I think it's always important anytime we can give a, uh, ode to it and, and kind of introduce our listeners, especially, you know, you, you know, you're on the West coast, but you know, my industry, you know, filmmakers, anything yeah, in I mean, that world that, you know, there's diehard vegetarians everywhere, which is, which is great. You know, I grew up vegetarian, actually. Um, we just had a massive garden, and I still like to garden. Like, if I had a, an acre, it'd be all garden right now. You know what I mean? But I'd still hunt my animals, and then I'd have my meat and potatoes. Yeah. So, you know, part of the conservancy thing, um, people get really butthurt. You know, people aren't as butthurt as, you know, guys going to hunt an elk and, and then butchering it, and it's in the freezer for the winter, and they're eating it. Guy, people get pretty upset with what they call trophy hunting. You know, um, I understand that aspect of it. You know, I don't, I don't want to go over and hunt a lion to put a lion on my wall. There's another side of that that there's a good movement. I'm trying to teach that side of hunting where, you know, there, there's places in Africa, right, where an ele- a couple elephants start getting bad and they start crushing a village and they're screwing the village up, eating everything. Well, those elephants, you know. They do the same thing here. They, if a bear attacks somebody, you know, in Yosemite, they try to either one get that bear, get it out of there, or they got to put the bear down. So over there, when elephant does that, that happens on a regular basis. Um, they'll have a list of people who want to hunt an elephant, so they contact these these groups and say, "Hey, we have a couple rogue elephants. You know, it's X amount. Of, let's say it's you know, let's say it's fifty thousand bucks, right? They collect that, they go take the animal, all that meat." Right, that fifty thousand dollars goes to the area and that conservancy. It goes to anti. It goes to teaching the rangers anti poaching. Right, it goes to the facility which you know has thirty jobs there for, for locals to take care of the baby animals when poachers hunt the adults. You know what I mean? Um, it, it goes back. All that meat goes to all the villagers all around. You know what I mean? So there's there's a lot of good on that side of it, and people really don't like to hear that for some reason. You know. Um, I, I get going somewhere and, and, and shooting a perfectly good animal that you can't eat. You know, I don't, I'm not about that. You know, that's on, that's on the person. But I, I totally understand the, the aspect of trophy hunting where the money goes and it actually helps. It's like a, a negative that creates so much good. You know what I mean? And if people really want to understand that, they can look into that more. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff out there. There's a, um, and online, so Modern Huntsman talks a lot about that. It's this guy, uh, Tyler Sharp, who's a photographer, and he started Modern Huntsman. And you get, there's a book that goes through, and there's interviews, there's cooking stuff. There's, he's been to Africa a bunch of times. He's, he's, a, he's just extremely knowledgeable on the aspect, and he brings, he's kind of trying to bring that knowledge, you know, to, you know, a hunter isn't just some fat dude with a cigar in a blind that he puts food out for a white-tailed deer. You know what I mean? There's, there, hunting exists. You know, to me, that's that's not fun, but he's he's kind of 
presenting, you know, there's really a, a lifestyle to hunting. There's a lot of amazing people out there that hunt that supply their own food for themselves. They give money to charities and foundations that hunt, conservancies. Um, the amount of money that's raised through hunting, you know, goes to each state and does a lot for the state. So there's so much good in it. Um, the, the information's there. You know, if someone doesn't, if somebody's just, you know, hey, this is terrible without doing the research, you know, well, they're stupid. Do the research, get to know it. There's arguments on both sides, but there's, there's a lot of information out there for people to go get. And that was Andrew Arabito. You can check out more about him by following him on Instagram at specoperator. And don't forget to check out Into the Fray on our YouTube channel. In each episode, we hang out with adventurers, trailblazers, and real-life heroes and take you to some of the coolest places in the world. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week.